0: encourage you this morning to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're actually going to finish up 2 Corinthians, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought 2 Corinthians had 13 chapters in it. It does. We've got a lot of work to do this morning, so we're going to move quickly through about a chapter and a half, but we are going to make sure that we read the whole thing Uh, this morning. We'll begin there with that reading. As you're turning uh, in your Bibles, I just want to thank you, church, for singing this morning. And I trust that those of you who are joining us in the live stream are, are participating with us. I got to sit in the front row and I heard you. Know this. It's the gospel. It's, it's, the, it's our God by his word and spirit that, that actually transforms us, that actually restores us. But he uses his people in rooms like this where we hear those words being said all around us to do that work. So thank you church for ministering the gospel this morning. Let us continue to participate together with our ears, together inclining our ears to the wisdom of the word this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning at verse 11 as we read. The apostle Paul speaking concluding his argument regarding his his boast in the Lord. I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your building up, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there will be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned that those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. "...for Christ is crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in Him, but in dealing with you, we live with Him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test." But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may have seemed to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you. Then... When I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we give attention, I pray that you would give us clarity, more than clarity, that you would give us a constant remembering and more than remembering that we would be transformed in a fashion that makes us say, the Lord is great. His grace is greater. His power is at work among his people. Thank you, Lord. We trust you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know why exactly... Um, But I'm concerned this morning um, for the roteness of it all. Uh, In some ways, um, it can be comforting to get together like this because we get to do the same thing again. We get to hear the same thing. We know that Jeremiah is going to... Somebody is normally... It's not normally Jeremiah is going to lead the prayer confession. They're going to pray. Then Jeremiah is going to say a thing or two and then quickly read the Bible. And then he's going to pray again. At the end of his prayers, he's going to say, In Jesus' name, Amen. Right, And then he's going to say things for a long time, and then he'll wrap up in prayer. Communion. Just a bunch of things. Just a bunch of words, right? You know, at the end of the prayer, we say, in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. And sometimes I'll attach like who, something, right? Wh- whose grace is sufficient, we might say this morning. And in his name we pray, Amen because if there is any work of God in the midst of the people of God, it will be by the name of Jesus Christ. These are not just words that we say. They're not just phrases that we repeat. They're truth that we weakly remember. The, the name of this gathering is a celebration service. That's what we call it, right? But shorthand, for a service of celebration and remembering. We get together, because there's a thing in that crazy thing that I did over the last six days that I can't even repeat because I don't remember. All right? It's called my life. In the middle of all of that, I forgot something. I forgot in Jesus' name. I forgot... God is holy. Why in the world am I running off after trash? Why in the world would I seek to try to justify myself and get myself ready before Sunday morning? Why would I not simply come as I would call all of the church to come in confession to remember grace? In Jesus' name, amen. So be it. Burden with that this morning as we sing songs again and do this thing. And I think that in some ways, uh, this morning we're going to cover a lot. We're going to cover it very quickly. But in some ways, the Apostle Paul has a similar burden that he said a lot of things. And it's, oh, here's Paul again. Here's Paul calling us out in the letter for all the things we've done wrong. And then he's asking for more money, like he always does. He's gathering money for the saints, for the building up of the church, not for himself. He's actually suffered a great bit of loss in the course of the ministry. All the words that he's saying are are words of the sufficiency of God's grace again. And now here he is uttering words of warning, just like he did in 1 Corinthians. Again, at the end of the letter. I hope that we would hear him and that in many ways, everything that is in the message this morning has already been said during the course of our study of 2 Corinthians because he's repeating himself. He's offering summary. Let us hear it. Is it possible that in the last six months in this letter, we've forgotten as well and would do well to remember? Let us pay attention. It really is why the first point, verses 11 through 21, is ministry in the sight of God. Ministry, this gospel remembering, gospel proclamation, gospel application, gospel suffering, suffering for the sake of the proclamation of the gospel, is all in light of God. It must all of this... Gospel ministry that takes place in our hearts, our households, our gatherings, and our community takes place in the sight of God. Or another way to put it, if I just wanted to make the point even longer and less alliterated, ministry of the full gospel in the sight of all of who God is. That's where Paul's going to go by the time we get to verse 13. That there is more to the gospel than the simplicity that we can make of it sometimes. All that Paul does is in light of who God is and what his gospel is, it's one of the reasons why in the Bible Together Journal that we've been uh, encouraging as a tool uh, for our study of the scriptures during the course of the week, the Bible Together Journal begins with these two questions as we read the Bible day after day. First question, who is God in light of the passage? I would encourage you, every time you read the scriptures, whether you're using the Bible Together journal or not, begin with that question, or else inevitably, with how self-centered and self-focused we are, we're going to ask some silly questions about me, all right? The Bible gives us something better. The Bible gives us God, okay? Begin there. Who is God in light of the scripture that was read? Second question, what is his gospel? Is there any news? Good news in light of the passage. In much of cultural Christianity, we love to talk about how God loves us. That's a good thing to talk about. We love to talk about how God even forgives us or brings us to heaven. Good stuff to remember. But we spend far less time talking about the holiness of God, the judgment of God against sin and unbelief, and the reality of our weakness in light of God's power. I mean, we can't talk about God's forgiveness without talking about that there's something to forgive and it's called sin. Except for we do. We do. We say that we've preached the gospel and we say nothing about the sin that is in the lives of those who hear the gospel. We're so prone to do that. This is why I introduced the idea here. All of Paul's ministry has been focused on God and his gospel not on humankind, not on any particular man, certainly not himself or the gospel minister. The focus of the Apostle Paul is on God and his gospel. This is what Paul means in verse 11. I ought to have been commended by you. One more time, Paul is the one who brought the precious jewel of the gospel to the Corinthians. He's the church planter. And in that context, that means they never, ever, ever, anyone in the community ever heard the gospel before ever, before the Apostle Paul preached it. He brought the precious jewel of the gospel to them. So in commending himself... He's not actually commending himself. <laughs> his purpose in defending his ministry is to, de- is to defend the ministry of the Word that was preached. He's defending the gospel. They ought to have commended the gospel that he preached. Is he not with them? Is he not given his soul for their knowledge of the gospel? Now, verse 12 speaks about the true sign of an apostle. This is a sermon in and of itself, but let me just suggest that the true sign of an apostle is the preaching of the Word. It's not just me reading something into the passage. I think it's in the passage. A number of commentators, as I did work on this passage, all agree it is the preaching of the gospel that is accompanied by signs, wonders, and... And mighty works. Look at verse 12. The sign of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience. Comma, with signs and wonders and mighty works. The word with is a funny word in the Bible. It's a connector. It can mean a lot of different things, and it really does. It means different things in different contexts. It can mean different things here. But the suggestion is that it means accompanied by. All right, that's one of the ways to use the word with is accompanied by signs, wonders, and mighty works. One of the reasons why that I think that's very compelling, the signs of a true apostle being the preaching of the word, the preaching of the gospel, is that it's with utmost patience. The gospel is preached with utmost patience. If you're doing signs and wonders, you don't have to be patient about anything. Everybody's like, wow, show us more, right? But if you preach the gospel, The gospel is preached with utmost patience, even as it is accompanied by or with signs, wonders, and mighty works. As the gospel was accompanied, wherever the apostles went, bringing the gospel for the first time in each of the cities into which they went, it's the preaching of the gospel that is at the center of the... The sign of an apostle, the works of an apostle. He's labored, as do all of the apostles, by seeking that the word would increase and multiply. Where do I get that phrase? Well, that's the phrase that's used over and over in Acts. As, as the apostles go from place to place, what's said? And miraculous signs were amazing. No, it doesn't say that. It says that the word increased and multiplied. Apostle, after all, is one who is sent the definition, one who is sent. Paul is one who has been sent with a message to herald. This is the sign of a true apostle that they're caught heralding. That's how you can tell. If they're a true apostle, if they're doing what they were sent to do, herald. It's for this work alone that he should be commended. Paul should be commended because he heralded the gospel. That way, he's a true apostle. Verse 15. Look at it with me. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Friends, that's just a beautiful phrase. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Look at verse 14, just before it. In the middle, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Paul is like a spiritual father willing to spend and be spent, to, to leverage what he has and leverage his very self for their knowledge of the gospel. And there's this phrase, there's this word again showing up, the word gladly. I will most gladly. Spend and be spent. We've seen that elsewhere. In chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul's response to the Lord's word, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And the power of Christ did rest upon him so that he willingly spent himself, he gladly spent himself to make the gospel known among the Corinthians. The fact is, as it regards the gospel and integrity, Paul has been upright among them. They ought to receive him as a spiritual father. Now, if we continue looking down at verse 19... Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? Oh, no, he's not defending himself. He's defending the gospel. The purpose of the letter has not been Paul defending himself. He's been defending the gospel that he proclaimed. And in doing so, here's the important part, in defending the gospel, what he's doing is he's defending their faith. Because without the true gospel, their faith has no foothold. It has no surety. It has nothing to stand on. That's why he says in verse 19 it's in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding beloved we've loved you we've built you up by preaching the gospel Paul is constantly running back to Christ throughout the letter throughout all of his letters through all of his teachings he's running back To Jesus, all is inside of God and inside of his gospel. He runs back to Jesus for his comfort. He runs back to Jesus for his strength. He runs back to Jesus for his calling. He runs back to Jesus for his affirmation. God is Paul's judge. That's why he runs back to Jesus for all of those things. If the Corinthians were his judge, then he failed the test. He's getting there. You see the logic of the way it plays out. If the Corinthians were his judge, he failed. But if God was his judge and faithfulness to the proclamation of God's gospel, that's where he runs. All of this, though, even though God is his judge, has been in love for Corinth. Paul in Christ loves the Corinthians. That's why verse 20 shows up so quickly. For I fear... He loves him, so he fears for him. What does he fear? That perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, and so on. Hear him. Jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, conceit, disorder, all of these gossip. If these things are present, here's what his fear is. If these things are present in the church and prevailing, the gospel isn't. They're not compatible with one another. You can't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who has condescended to dwell among his people, to forgive them by his grace, to restore them to himself and to one another, and have a people who are gossiping and slandering one another. If those things are present, Paul's fear is not that he doesn't have a perfect little church. Well, he doesn't have a church that loves each other perfectly. His fear is, have you received the gospel If these things are present, perhaps the gospel is not. This is the fear behind Paul's fear. Paul has no reason. Listen, this is so important. It it helps us to understand what what he's getting at over and over throughout the letters that he writes to Corinth. Paul has no reason to trust the Corinthians. He doesn't have any reason that any of his arguments would effectively change this disordered people who have been so enculturated in a a culture of grabbing and grasping and prospering and, and, and moving ahead by stepping on others in Corinth. He has no reason to believe that they would have their acts together. What his hope is, that the gospel would have invaded them, that the gift of the Spirit, accompanied by the proclamation of the Word, would have transformed them. That's his hope, his only hope. He doesn't have confidence in Corinth. He has confidence in Christ. And his question is, have you received him? Is he in you? Now, it would be kind of handy if he just left us there because we, we can get real comfortable with all those sins, but he doesn't. He continues, I fear that when I come... God may humble me before you. I may mourn of those who have sinned earlier, not repented of impurity, sexual immorality, and sensual sensuality that they have practiced. The call is what? Well, his expectations that the Corinthians, you know, those super sensual people who are running after a variety of pagan practices and acceptable cultural norms as regards these things. His expectations—they would have cleaned up their act now, right? No. No, His expectation is that they would have received the gospel and remembered that there is a holy God and a better way. That's what his expectation is. So his call is this. Hey guys, get perfect like I know you can. No, that's not his call. His call is to repent and believe in the gospel. That was his call in 1 Corinthians, and that's his call in in 2 Corinthians. That have not repented. The call is not to be perfect. The call is to repent and turn from our imperfection. Now, it can be easier to admit at times that we might deal with things like quarreling and anger. We admit it, and then we don't do anything about it, like, Jesus, forgive me of, you know, being angry again, but I'm just an angry person sometimes, get frustrated sometimes. And then don't actually do anything about it. We just let it run rampant in our lives, and our homes, with the people that we love the most. We, we clean ourselves up and hide it a little bit when we're in front of other people, but really we don't do anything about it. So we can be comfortable with that. We can not actually labor to say, Lord, what is true about you and your gospel that I would continue to walk in those things? And this is the heart of the community question in the Bible Together Journal. What is true of my household, my community, and my church in light of this passage? Do we walk as a people that continue to walk in conceit and deceit and slander and disorder? Now, we must also admit that we at times deal with impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality. The call of both of these, though, in both of these, now we don't like to admit that, that may be a thing. It's easier. Yeah, I get mad sometimes. Will somebody pray for me? I get mad sometimes. Sometimes I just have disordered thoughts. <laughs> sometimes I slander people. You know, I just said something the other day. I probably shouldn't have said it. And the whole community group goes, oh, yeah, yeah, let's pray for that. But when it comes to these last three things that were mentioned, we don't really like to talk about that. But we do expect that if they are present, they should change. We do expect that. You see how we have these things in many ways reversed, whereas they both, both of these sets of sin are both sin. They're both a problem with the community that requires and demands our transformation, but they both also demand and require our confession and repentance. And so the call in both what Paul knows that is what the Lord requires is faith and repentance. You see, the, the next section tells us what Paul knows. He knows that the gospel works. It works in a people like this. And it works in a people like the Corinthian church and the people of Cross Point Coast who deal with all of these things. The gospel works because he knows this. If you move to the next section, he knows Christ is not weak. Look at verses 1 through 4. When Paul runs to Jesus, what he does, he runs to God. He finds God. And here's what he finds to be true about God. He finds that God is Redeemer. He's King. He's Judge of the living and the dead. Look at it with me. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I don't know for sure, but it seems that he's saying that if he comes three times... He stands as three witnesses. If he sees it a third time, guys, it's time to bring down the judgment. It's been established. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second. If I come again, I won't spare them. If I come again, it won't be with warning, it'll be with judgment. Why? Verse 3, Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. Here's his point, because Jesus warns, and then he judges. He warns, and then he judges. He's not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. Well, What is the power of God? The power of God that is among you is the power which overruled all of Paul's pretentious, self-righteous boasts. The power of God that is in you has sustained Paul through many trials. The power of God that's at work among you is the power of God that has made Paul's God's strength demonstrated in the midst of Paul's weakness. The power of work that's in, among you is the power that raises Jesus from the dead and the power that stands to judge all who do not repent and turn to his sufficient grace. This is the power of God. That's what I meant by the Apostle Paul, when he ministers the gospel, he does so in, in the presence of the full counsel of who God is the fullness destroying both self righteousness and sin restoring and forgiving warning and judging that the lord is judge as at the heart of paul's warning paul has done this another time in second corinthians he's reminded them he makes reference to the fact that when jesus came he came in humility As a humble servant, he came meek. But when he comes again, he comes as righteous, risen king. He comes as judge, the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 4, For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. The ministry is with humility. But in dealing with you, we will live. We're going to minister with resurrected Jesus-on-the-throne sort of proclamation by the power of God. We're bringing a severe warning this time. For all the display of Paul's meekness, his humility, his willing to give himself up for them, his concern is he may have given the wrong impression. That's the full counsel of the gospel. In all of his humility, perhaps he's miscommunicated that the Lord God is alive. And he is the judge of the living and the dead. Verse 3, he is not weak. Jesus, the Christ, is not weak. Let us remember this. Let us remember. One of the facets of the multifaceted jewel that is Jesus is Jesus is judge. Friends, when we celebrate and remember, let us, one of the things that we would remember is he's judge. Friends, that's good news. There is a good judge, a righteous judge, an impartial judge on the throne of heaven. A judge who is, we sang about it earlier, the lion and the lamb. When you look at the throne of heaven, what do you see? The lion-like Lamb who was slain. The judge. Oh, he's Judge. He's Judge like a lion. But the lion is the, the lamb who was slain. In place of my judgment. He's already been judged for all who place their faith in him. That's a severe warning for those of us who walk in unfaithfulness. Continue in unfaithfulness. Belief. The call is to repent and believe in the gospel, or else on that day all you'll see is lion. Is Christ weak among us? Is he of little consequence? It's interesting that in the previous point, Paul goes to the two things regarding the way that we can see that the gospel is strong among us, that we can see it in that that first list of sins, conceit, and slander, and so on. Questions of our life and love together. Is Christ among us? We'll examine our life and love together. Examine the way we are together. That will give evidence as to whether or not Christ is among us. They will know you are my disciples by what? The way you love one another. There's an evidence. Now, you'll become my disciples. You'll prove that you're worthy of me. By the way, no. You'll know that I have infected you with my grace. If my grace then plays itself out in your life together. Secondly, questions of sexual purity. Impurity, sexual morality, sensuality. I think that's also in reference to idolatry. We can so, see so much of our inner spiritual life and faith by examining these two areas. I don't think it's an error or a mistake or an undue focus on just two things, the way we use our words together and our sensuality. That these are two ways that you can look at just about any human life, that you can examine your own heart and ask the question, how are we toward one another? And what do we crave in our most base appetites? And that will tell us something about whether we have believed the word, whether we've repented and turned in faith. No wonder Paul moves in verses 5 through 10 to the phrase, examine yourself. It's such an important word. Examine yourself. I think particularly examine yourself as it involves the way you are together. And in your most base cravings. Note that in verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. It does not say to see whether you are still in the faith. The question we must ask is whether we have truly heard and believed the gospel at all. And I would encourage you, don't pass over the question or else he wouldn't have said it. Not one of us, not even the preacher, should pass over the question or else he wouldn't have said it. Do I believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin in such a way that I say his way is better? He is truly the Lord and King of creation. Verse 9 toward the end of this paragraph, for we are, here it is again, we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. It's a restatement of his willingness to be weak if the church is made strong and built up and restored. And I wonder if one of the things he's doing is, I'm willing to warn you again. I'm willing to warn you again so that when I find you, I would see you you built up, not in, in demonstrating how perfect you've become, but being strong in grace. And that's why in the previous passage, for my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Power and grace are the same. How will Paul know if they believe the gospel? How will Paul know if they're strong, powerful? Well, if they're people who are moved by grace. A grace that calls to repentance, belief, as we'll see, worship. What does it mean to be restored? It means to have Christ. It means not to have deviated in any way from the gospel. It's a reference back to chapter 11, verse 4. Don't deviate from the gospel. The truth of the gospel is not that we have not sinned. The truth of the gospel is that we have And we're weak for it. But that Jesus is righteous. And he is strong. That God is holy. And his grace is sufficient to both forgive our sin and to transform our desires. In verse 10 he reiterates the whole purpose of the letter. For this reason I write these things. That while I'm away, that when I come, I may not have to be severe. He doesn't want to bring judgment. He wants to bring a remembering of grace. Call them to faith. The goal is really found in verse 11. This is the beautiful church. This is the church that that is infected by grace. It's a short sentence. Don't let verse 11 just turn into a long run-on sentence. It's actually three words. Finally, brothers... Rejoice. Period. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Friends, what is the application point this morning? What is the application point of the whole of the letter of 2 Corinthians for the church this morning? Finally, church, worship. Be glad. Rejoice. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in your actual weakness. Rejoice. Now, what do a rejoicing people look like? What Do they raise their hands? Do they clap? Do they sing real serious? Do they sing the right songs? Do they sing the right tunes to the right songs? What do a rejoicing people look like? Well, it turns out, that you can't tell by whether they raise their hands or not when they're singing, when gathered. It turns out that it might look like a people who aim for restoration, a people who comfort one another. Why would a people who rejoice in God and his gospel, How could you? how is it that you could tell that this is a people who rejoice in God and his gospel because they comfort one another? Because they've received comfort. They know what it looks like. They've received it. And this is exactly what he says at the beginning of the book. And so they comfort others in the same way that they have been comforted by God. Why do, how can you tell that there are people of rejoicing if they aim for restoration? Because they've been restored. They've been restoried. They tell the same story over and over. When they meet others, they don't say, You need to be perfect before you join us because we got our act together. They say, You know, he restored me. And I have a story to tell you. Agree with one another. Why? Well, there's so much to disagree about. Like right now, this second, there's so because we have something about which we can agree that is sufficient. And it's grace. Do you agree? Do you agree? In grace. Live in peace. Why? Well, because the God of peace, the God of love will be with you. And he has been by the proclamation of the word, the presence of his spirit. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, here's one that's difficult to contextualize right now. Not that it was easy six months ago. (laughs) All the saints greet you. And what's his final word? It's really where he began the letter. It's really the It's the the thread that runs through the whole thing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. If that is so, then all of the words of this letter will work in your midst. If God would answer that well-saying, that prayer at the end of the letter, All of the letter will work from its beautiful comfort to its call to generosity, to its warning against idolatry and wickedness in the midst of the people. It will work if the grace, love, and fellowship of God is with his people. This letter has been a call to share together, to share in Christ's suffering and his comfort all because of God and His gospel. My prayer for us as we close is that God and His gospel, who is God and what is His gospel, would infect the way that the people of Cross Point Coast think and repent and walk and speak together and what we love and what we crave. And that we would heed the warning to our examine ourselves in these things. Heavenly Father, we call out to you because we need you to do it. We pray this benediction that your grace, love, and fellowship would be with your church. Lord, we trust you for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.